The Getty by Joan Didion from 1977. The place might have been commissioned by the magic Christian. Mysteriously and rather giddily splendid, hidden in a grove of sycamores just above the Pacific Coast Highway in Malibu, a commemoration of high culture so immediately productive of crowds and jam traffic that it can now be approached by appointment only. The $17 million villa built by the late J. Paul Getty to house his antiquities and paintings and furniture manages to strike a peculiar nerve in almost everyone who sees it. From the beginning, the Getty was said to be vulgar. The Getty was said to be Disney. The Getty was even said to be Jewish, if I did not misread the subtext, in quote, like a Beverly Hills nouveau riche dining room from Los Angeles Times, January 6, 1974, and quote, gussied up like a ballet dining room from the New York Times, May 28, 1974. The Getty seems to stir up social discomforts at levels not easily plumped. To mention this museum in the more enlightened of those very dining rooms it is said to resemble is to invite a kind of nervous derision, as if the place were a local hoax, a perverse and deliberate affront to the understated good taste and general class of everyone at the table. The Getty's intricately patterned marble floors and walls are, quote, garish. The Getty's illusionistic portico murals are, quote, backlot. The entire building, an informed improvisation on a villa buried by mud from Vesuvius in 79 AD and seen again only dimly during some 18th century tunnelling around Herculaneum, is ritually dismissed as, quote, inauthentic, although what authentic could mean in this context is hard to say. Something about the place embarrasses people. The collection itself is usually, usually referred to as, quote, that kind of thing, as in not even the best of that kind of thing, or absolutely top draw if you like that kind of thing, both of which translate, quote, not our kind of thing. The Getty's damask-lined galleries of Renaissance and Baroque paintings are distinctly that kind of thing, there being little in the modern temperament that responds immediately to popes and libertine babies, and so are the Getty's rather unrelenting arrangements of French furniture. A Louis XV writing table tends to please the modern eye only if it has been demystified by, glass, by a glass of field flowers and some silver frame snapshots, as in a horsed photograph for Vogue. Even the Getty's famous antiquities are pretty much that kind of thing, evoking as they do not their own period, but the 18th and 19th century rage for antiquities. The sight of a Greek head depresses many people, strikes an unliberated chord, reminds them of books in their grandmother's parlour and of all they were supposed to learn and never did. This note of, quote, learning pervades the entire Getty collection. Even the handful of Impressionists acquired by Getty were recently removed from the public galleries, put away as irrelevant. The Getty collection is in certain ways unremissingly reproachful and quite inaccessible to generations trained in the conviction that a museum is meant to be fun with colder mobiles and Barcelona chairs.
In short, the Getty is a monument to fine art in the old-fashioned didactic sense, which is part of the problem people have with it. The place resists contemporary notions about what art is or should be or ever was. A museum is now supposed to kindle the untrained imagination, but this museum does not. A museum is now supposed to set the natural child in each of us free, but this museum does not. This was art acquired to teach a lesson, and there is also a lesson in the building which houses it. The Getty tells us that the past was perhaps different from the way we like to perceive it. Ancient marbles were not always attractively faded and worn. Ancient marbles once appeared just as they appear here, as strident, opulent evidence of imperial power and acquisition. Ancient murals were not always bleached and mellow and, quote, tasteful. Ancient murals once looked as they do here as if dreamed by a mafia don. Ancient fountains once worked and drowned out that very silence we have come to expect and want from the past. Ancient bronze once gleamed ostentatiously. The old world was once discomfortingly new, or even nouveau, as people like to say about the Getty. I have never been sure what the word nouveau can possibly mean in America, implying as it does that the speaker is gazing down 600 years of rolled lawns. At a time when our public conventions remain rooted in a kind of knockdown romanticism, when the celebration of natural man's capacity for moving onward and upward has become a kind of official tick, the Getty presents us with an illustrated lesson in classical doubt. The Getty advises us that not much changes. The Getty tells us that we were never any better than we are and will never be any better than we were, and in doing so makes a profoundly unpopular political statement. The Getty's founder may or may not have had some such statement in mind. In a way, he seems to have wanted only to do something no one else could or would do. In his posthumous book, as I see it, he advises us that he never wanted, quote, one of those concrete bunker-type structures that are the fad among museum architects. He refused to pay for, quote, any tinted glass and stainless steel monstrosity. He assures us that he was neither shaken nor surprised when his villa was finished and certain critics sniffed. He had calculated the risks he knew that he was flouting the doctrinaire and elitist views he believed endemic in many art world, or should I say, artsy-craftsy quarters. Doctrinaire and elitist, artsy-craftsy. On the surface, the Getty would appear to have been a case of he knew what he liked and he built it. A tax dodge from the rather lausch world of the international rich, and yet, the use of that word elitist strikes an interesting note. The man who built himself the Getty never saw it, although it opened a year and a half before his death. He seems to have liked the planning of it. He personally approved every paint sample. He is said, he is said to have taken immense pleasure in every letter received from anyone who visited the museum and liked it. Such letters were immediately forwarded to him by the museum staff. But the idea of the place seems to have been enough, 
and the idea was this. Here was a museum built not for those elitist critics, but for the public. Here was a museum that would be forever supported by its founder alone, a museum that need never depend on any city or state or federal funding, a place forever, quote, open to the public and free of all charges. As a matter of fact, large numbers of people who do not ordinarily visit museums like the Getty a great deal, just as its founder knew they would. There is one of those peculiar social secrets at work here. On the whole, the critics distrust great wealth, but the public does not. On the whole, the critics subscribe to the romantic view of man's possibilities, but the public does not. In the end, the Getty stands above the Pacific Coast Highway as one of those odd monuments, a palpable contract between the very rich and the people who distrust them the least.